created live on Fireside. Welcome to Office Hours with Dr. DeVoe. My name is Dr. Laura DeVoe. This is the next evolution of professional development in higher education. Every week, it is my honor to bring to you topics of note in higher education, current trends, and new information to ponder. Uh, be sure to subscribe to my newsletter, What's Up in the Academy, on Substack, and follow me here on Fireside so you can get alerts as to all my shows, as well as you can also follow me on Twitter and LinkedIn. The information on how to follow me is right here in the scrolling fortune cookie right here in the middle of your your uh, phone. Uh, before getting into today's topic, I want to highlight a couple of news items from the world of U.S. higher education. Um, as an update from our January Think Tank episode, the University of Michigan has announced that their now former president, uh, Dr. Mark Schlissel, uh, will be remaining on staff as a faculty member. There is some debate as to whether his firing was legal based on the allegations that his sexual relationship with a subordinate, while improper, uh, was consensual. Uh, but they're saying uh, if he didn't misuse any university funds, the termination may not have been appropriate. Um, so there's going to be a lot to discuss uh, coming up on that. We will continue with the, uh, monitoring that issue. Um, and uh, the other issue that is going on right now, big news uh, this week is very unfortunate, is the ongoing bomb threats uh, at over 20 historically black colleges and universities that are occurring this week, the first week of Black History Month. Um, they're creating real fears in and amongst these communities, uh, which makes a lot of sense. Uh, the Justice Department and the FBI are investigating these threats. Students have reported not only disruptions in their classwork, but there are concerns about safety on campus, who's coming and going. Um, from the Spelman president, uh, President Mary Schmidt Campbell uh, said of this statement, uh, these threats are despicable. They are designed to make us feel fearful and vulnerable. Uh, as a note, I am uh, still waiting uh, for uh, folks who are leaders of our predominantly white institutions to put out uh, announcements about this, uh, but we are not seeing that right now, and um, I am hoping that my words uh, make it to some people's ears. We put out lots of statements uh, on college campuses about injustices, about world events, about uh, all sorts of news, um, and yet uh, institutions, uh, institutional leaders are silent on this issue. And uh, to me, that is a, a, a real breakdown in leadership. Uh, before we get into today's topic, I want to remind everybody, if you have not used Fireside uh, in the past, a couple of things to orient you. Down in the left-hand corner of your phone is a black dot. That is called the hamburger. If you press on the hamburger, right now you will see broadcast to the world. If you click on broadcast to the world, that will take you up to a link, which allows for you to take it 
to your LinkedIn account, to your tw uh, Twitter account, whatever uh, social media platform. This way you can share it with the world. I appreciate that. That gets more people listening to the show. The other thing that you can do here, if you go to the hamburger, there is a transcript button. You can click on that if you would like to see Elias closed captioning, if you would uh, benefit from that. And then finally, please remember, you can always react uh, by clapping, by uh, giving me a thumbs up, and also expect thank you very much. <laughs> thank you. Thank you. Uh, you can always request to come on up on stage and become part of the show um, and ask questions. So that takes us to today's topic. Today is uh, all about the new NCAA constitution. Um, on January 20th, 20th of this year, uh, the NCAA approved a new constitution. The ratification came despite objections from members who feel it concentrates too much money and power in the hands of Division I colleges. The new structure, which will go into effect on August 1st of this year, allows each division more oversight of its own budget, expenditures, and financial distribution. It also embraces a new era, which allows players to profit off their name, image, and likeness. Uh, we are joined today by our guest, Matt Burke, who is the... Uh, athletic director at Fitchburg State University. Um, he became the athletic director at Fitchburg State on July 9th, 2018. Um, and uh, he oversees 17 varsity sports, 350 student athletes, and a staff of over 50 employees at FSU. Um, his responsibilities include managing the department budget, oversight of all departmental operations, um, and events and fundraising. I have known Matt for quite some time. He was was my athletic director at Mount Ida College in Newton, Massachusetts, where he was actually executive director of athletics uh, and uh, was at Mount Ida uh, from 1998 to 2018. Um, uh, Matt uh, was previously served on the NCAA's Division III Student Athlete Reinstatement Committee and uh, was uh, chair of the Greater Northeast Atlantic Conference Ethics Committee and chair of the Eastern Collegiate Football Conference Athletic Directors Council. Uh, Matt has a bachelor's degree from University of Massachusetts Amherst in sports management and a master's degree in business administration from Nichols College. Welcome, Matt Burke, to the show. How are you? I'm doing great. Thank you, Laura. It's great to be here. I'm, I'm very happy to have you here. I, it's always nice to connect with you. I, I enjoy Matt very much. We always had very, we had a lot of fun together. Um, and we also had lots of, you know, like insanity too. So I'm very happy to have you here and welcome to the show. Um, are you doing anything else with the NCAA right now? Or are you doing any other um, committee work that's not a uh, part of my bio for you? No, I appreciate that. Not right now. No. I mean, I think I'm focused primarily on the duties here at Fitchburg State. Um, and obviously, as we're all dealing with in higher ed, navigating the, uh, the COVID times and yep. trying to present college athletics and provide college athletics to our students in the best way possible. So I felt at this stage, it was best to just focus here. And I will look in the future to be rejoining some committees at the NCAA level, but not right now. Well, and I, and I hope you do that because it not only you, not only were you good at it, it made you better at your job. So I think that's great. Um, so 
put it into context. I, you know, it depends on who's listening to the show now or during the replay, but could you put into context for the audience? Um, the NCAA is more than division one. I think people know division one the most because it's what they see on television and what they, uh, hear about the most. Uh, but it has division two and three. Um, can you talk about, uh, what are the divisions? Give people kind of a look, see into that breakdown. How many student athletes are participating in NCAA sports overall? And what are some other nuggets that you think people should, should understand before getting into this conversation today? Yeah, sure. So like you said, I mean, everybody is pretty much or pretty aware of Division One athletics. That's what you see on TV. Um, and those are the ones that get the most notoriety on, on SportsCenter, in the news, um, and certainly on network television. Um, but, you know, the, the bigger scale of the NCAA is there's 500,000 college athletes, approximately, that compete mm-hmm. under the NCAA's umbrella. There's 1,100 schools um, that, that are in one of the three divisions of the NCAA. Um, and that makes up Division One, Division Two, and Division Three. And I think, you know, I work in Division Three, Fitchburg State, and also while we were at Mount Ida, that was also a Division Three school. And mm-hmm. I think uh, certainly those of you that are located in the Northeast, um, the, the large concentration of Division Three members are located um, in the Northeast of the United States, but but we are spread out all over the country. Division Three is actually the largest of all the divisions in the NCAA. So there's roughly, I think, 440-ish members in Division III. Um, division II is about 300 members, and Division I is about 350 members. So mm. the largest portion of those student athletes, the largest portion of those members actually reside in Division Three and not Division One. although, uh, you know, Division One certainly um, is the one that is most known by people, but I think Division Three and Division Two serve very important, um, very important purposes for for student athletes out there seeking college athletics, but maybe at the level that they're most comfortable with. Mm-hmm. Um, and I think that's really what separates the divisions the most. Division One is very much athletic focused, and the highest, I would say, for the most part, the highest skilled of the athletes seeking scholarship opportunities to participate as a, as a student athlete. Uh, division two is, you know, somewhat of your uh, more smaller institutions that have uh, some partial scholarship money to provide to student athletes. Um, and then division three, I think is much more the balance of academics first, athletics second. And I think the big key difference there on division three is there's absolutely no financial aid awards related to someone's participation or ability in athletics. Um, mm-hmm. So we are not allowed to award any financial aid based on that, while Division One and Division Two uh, are able to do that. Um, so I'm, I'm going to put you on the spot a little bit, because when you and I worked together, you used to like to say to parents and prospective students, you know, what's kind of the breakdown in how many people actually go from, say, youth sports to uh, competing at the NCAA uh, level and then go on to professional sports. Um, do you remember those numbers kind of that, that ballpark off the top of your head or am I, am I putting you on the spot? You are putting me a little bit on the spot. Yes. <laughs> I wish I had remembered that number. I, I love that speech. So I should, I wish I remembered you it. You should better. remember should, that speech. I should bring it back here uh, more frequently when I speak to parents. I, I think uh, it's roughly like 3% somewhere in that ballpark yeah. of, yeah. Of, peop- of student athletes that actually go on to participate at the college level. So you're joining a really unique crowd um, when yeah. you become a student athlete at any one of the NCAA's uh, levels. 
um, whether that's Division One, Division Two, or Division Three. The other thing I was going to say about the NCAA, which I think is important for everybody to know, uh, is that it's a membership-driven organization. So mm-hmm. every rule that the NCAA enforces on behalf of the membership was voted on and approved by that membership. Right. So, um, you know, when I think a lot of times in the media, um, the NCAA, NCAA gets painted as this, um, you know, evil organization that's right. passing down all these, yeah. yeah, all these rulings. Um, but the reality is it's representing the interests of its member institutions. So those 1100 schools all had a voice in the rules that, that the NCAA is ultimately enforcing. And I think sometimes people lose, lose focus on that. And when you talk about rules, give us more of an understanding, like what kind of rules have you voted on in the last, say, four or five years? Uh, well, so I, I guess notably, you know, just this past January, we had the convention and that's when we come together and vote on any rules proposals um, that are on the table. Like we just passed some new legislation in Division Three related to uh, health and safety for football student athletes, uh, changing the rules, uh, the number of contact practices uh, that our, our student athletes are allowed to have in any given week and throughout the course of the season for football. Um, so we just we just passed that, and I think that was pretty significant uh, legislation there. In addition to voting in this new constitution um, that we just did a couple of weeks ago, um, and yeah, I mean, I think a lot of a lot of the issues come down to either a health and safety matter. You know, we mm-hmm. looked several years ago at requiring sickle cell testing for student athletes. Um, you know, so I think a lot of things come around on that health and safety side. And then also just on eligibility factors or uh, this year we allowed um, in division three. So to make the NCAA tournament, a conference has to have seven members. Mm -hmm. And we just voted to reduce that number to six to Mm -hmm. allow some more flexibility. Um, As we've seen the higher education landscape, uh, unfortunately, schools have closed Mm -hmm. um, or schools have realigned or schools are moving divisions. And so this allows a little bit more flexibility to provide those student athletes with that same experience of making an NCAA tournament, um, but at a lesser conference number. So we just voted that in at the last convention. So, And I think that, you know, when you and I work together, you would come and see me before going to the convention and say, here's what we're voting on. And you would talk to me, I, I would just say, you usually say to you, okay, talk to me like I'm eight years old, Matt, and explain this to me and why it's important. But, but getting to your point is that this isn't, these aren't decisions made by say a bunch of people sitting around a boardroom table um, on behalf of the entire organization. It's the organization, it's the members that are actually um, voting on this. And therefore things don't happen very quickly. Right. Um, and so there could be some uh, rules and discussions that come up year and year, uh, you know, year over year before it's finally voted on. Um, so talk to us about the Constitution process. Um, I want to get into that first, and then we're going to talk about the, the names, images and likeness uh, issue uh, that people are really aware of right now. But I want to start with the with the Constitution process. Um, where did it start from? Um, was it rooted in uh, anything in particular? Um, and when did this all kind of get going? Yeah, so, I mean, I think it really was... I think for the last year, maybe year and a half, where the conversation really started to accelerate. And even I would say as late as last summer, when really the message got spread to everyone saying we need to relook at this, you know, at this constitution and rewrite a new constitution. And then 
uh, the NCAA formed a, a constitution committee that really took the hard look at the constitution and, and rewrote the constitution um, and the proposal that we just voted on. Mm-hmm. Um, and I, I think it's really rooted in, um, you know, the decision by the Supreme Court in the Alston case mm-hmm. and rooted in the, the acceleration of the name image likeness. Um, it became apparent from both of those situations that the, the prior constitution that we've been working under for all these years that was really rooted in this idea of amateurism and college athletes as amateurs mm-hmm. didn't really apply anymore when those, those decisions ended up coming down or uh, states across the country were passing their own name image likeness uh, legislation and rules. Um, and so I think it, it forced the membership in many ways to relook at at what we were doing and also relook at the role of the NCAA in what we are doing and mm-hmm. what should the NCAA really be providing? What is that service um, that they should be providing to everyone? And so I, um, one of the things that I didn't mention when we were talking about legislation was we just passed a, a bit of legislation that provides an emergency ability for the board of governors um, and the president's councils of the NCAA to um, change legislation in an emergency situation. Mm-hmm. Um, mm-hmm. And I think that's very reflective of where, where, why we're at where we're at right now with the new constitution is that things changed really fast with those right. decisions right. And, and that legislation. And I think we were in a position where we had to respond um, and the, the initial process of that was, well, we got to go all the way back to the beginning. And what are we? What is the NCAA? And what purpose do we want it to serve us? And then how do we move this forward in a time that is you know, changing by the day, uh, by the month, uh, by the year, as more and more focus comes into light on, on college athletics um, and the rights of, of college athletes within that umbrella? And I think that's really been pushed to the forefront um, in the last, you know, I guess two years overall, but yeah. especially recently with the with the rulings from the Supreme Court and, like I said, the name image likeness legislation. And so, you know, I'm let's transition to that. So the names image likeness uh, legislation, otherwise known as NIL, or do you call it NIL? Is it NIL or NIL? See, I'm I'm in the NIL category, but yes, multiple <laughs> people refer to it as NIL. Um, okay. it, it goes back to the old debate of some people say NCAA. Right. Some people say NC two A. All right, so you so got to kind of choose which way so you want to go. We're and gonna stick we're with gonna it. do it by however it sounds best in terms <laughs> of our own nomenclature, right? Okay, it, like you know, I remember going to the convention and people and you could hear the folks from different regions of the country say it in their own twang, and I was like, okay, we're really we're we're deep in it here. Okay, absolutely, absolutely. And so just to give people some some. Uh, understanding of where this name image likeness uh, kind of journey started. So this is all about student athletes having ownership over their own likeness. Um, Up until this point, they couldn't, you know, put, you would get into, you can talk more about that, but in previously uh, student athletes, if they were put on a poster by say a local uh, and, and then profited off of it, they would, there would be a violation. Um, talk to us a little bit more about what it looked like before this 
journey started. I want to give people some understanding of what would be some violations of name, image, and likeness in the before, before time. Sure. I, I mean, I think one that some people might be uh, familiar with is uh, Johnny Manziel, who was a quarterback at Texas A&M and then went on to a, a brief NFL career. But uh, he signed autographs uh, and made money from selling autographs um, of himself. And but he was not allowed to profit from that. Okay. Um, so that, that's an example of you know, I'm a very famous college athlete and I'd like, some people are interested in my autograph and rather than just giving them out, I'd like to, to sell them or sign up with a car dealer and come sign footballs for an hour. Mm -hmm. And I should mm -hmm. be able to make some money from that. Um, that's an example there. Um, representing a business, as you mentioned, like a local car dealership wants to hire me on a certain day to come down to the car dealership. And um, that's going to attract customers there. Um, and they want to pay me for that time. Well, previously, as a student athlete, I wasn't able to do that. I think one of the big ones that, that we'll be most familiar with everybody right now is just your brand ambassador on social media. Mm -hmm. So you would not be able to use your likeness as an athlete. So I wouldn't be able to say, I'm a student athlete at Fitchburg State University, mm -hmm. so you should follow me, or you should buy these shoes, or you should buy this, this outfit that I'm wearing. Right. You couldn't right. identify yourself as an athlete at that institution and profit from that ability. Or mm -hmm. I couldn't teach, I could, I would be allowed to teach a lesson in a sport. I, I'm say I'm, I'm a pretty good basketball player and I want to teach lessons in that. I could teach those lessons, but I couldn't say, well, I'm a really good basketball player at Fitchburg State University and this is why you should come. Right. So um, those are some, I think, of the lower level things that were not allowed previously that now student athletes can explore the ability to do and profit from that. So basically utilizing yourself, your image, your likeness, right. um, the, what you've accomplished to make some money from that. Right, right. And so this all just didn't happen this past summer with the SCOTUS ruling. This started back in October of 2019. I'm sorry, it was September of 2019, where California passed legislation um, introduced by uh, a senator there. Uh, starting that in 2023 would prohibit schools from punishing athletes who accept endorsement money while in college. The NCAA called the legislation, um, quote unquote, an existential threat to college amateur sports when it was introduced a month months earlier. Um, in October of 2019, the NCA Board of Governors agreed unanimously that it is time to modernize the name, image, and likeness rules. So as you said, things happened super quickly. This went from September to October of the same year, where at one point they were saying this is an existential threat. And now they're like, well, looks like we got to get on board because California made it happen. Um, in October of 2020, working group was appointed by the NCAA to lay out suggestions on how Division I could change its rules, including details on how opportunities and rest uh, restrictions for future athlete deals. This is all from the ESPN, by the way. I didn't look all this up. Um, and uh, June of 2020, Florida passed a state law 
with basically my understanding is Florida just took what California did and copied it um, and pasted it and created their own uh, rules uh, in, in uh, as far as that's concerned. And so like this all started back when two of the largest states in terms of uh, influence uh, started moving in that direction. Um, and then uh, over the course of some ins, outs and upside downs, we found ourselves to the SCOTUS ruling this past year and or this past summer. And, uh, you know, it was something that people on both sides of the political aisle agreed on. Um, so I think there's only two things that people are kind of agreeing on right now, the hate for Facebook and that this NCAA uh, decision or this decision around names, images and likenesses needs to you know, be something we're considering. And I remember last summer when the decision was made, there was a lot of people going, well, this is going to be a change maker for people and student athletes are going to be able to make all kinds of money. And they were really talking about some of these, uh, you know, uh, some of these higher profile athletes. But what I originally thought about was exactly what you brought up, Matt, about this idea of that influencer lifestyle and where uh, student athletes, and I'm thinking even of division two and three athletes in some of your, uh, you know, non-revenue generating sports, like a, a women's basketball player or a field hockey player who are saying, you know what, I like to wear these Lululemon pants when I'm working out, they're really comfortable. And I'm going to show you why I think they're great. Or let me show you my workout, uh, that I do. And you can, here's my, I'm going to drop my Patreon link here and someone could make uh, a bit of money, uh, doing something on, uh, on their phone where they're showing people how to train for, or do drills around basketball drills or field hockey drills and, 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 and kind of put themselves out there almost doing instructional videos. Um, what are you seeing from uh, an athletic director standpoint? And are, are athletic directors kind of talking about what's happening? How do you have to get involved in this? Do you not get involved? What, what does this look like for you on a day-to-day -day basis? Yeah. So yes, we talked about it, you know, all the time. I mean, I think especially at the conference level, um, we're constantly kind of sharing ideas and figuring out how we're going to handle this as it changes and evolves. And I think that's an important part of this is it, it's continuing to evolve. Mm -hmm. um, what it actually means and how it actually plays out is still very new. And I think we're still trying to navigate that and see how it impacts us. So the reality is we as athletic departments still need to monitor the, the name, image and likeness activities of our student athletes. So we are still responsible from a NCA rules standpoint for monitoring that. Um, so we do ask our student athletes that are entering into any type of, of name, image, likeness agreement. Um, we as a conference in the MassCAC, which is the Massachusetts State Collegiate Athletic Conference that Fitchburg State belongs with, we have a form that we all use um, and that we ask our student athletes to fill out and then submit to our compliance officers at our institution so we can review them and ensure that it, it is in alignment with the current NIL rules that the NCAA has. Uh, there are some, some companies out there that have, have stepped up um, that would provide those services mm. for both the institution and the student athlete and kind of serve in a, for lack of a better term, like an agent situation or a mm. business manager situation, um, and ensure that the student athlete is following the NIL rules. Um, so we've, we've looked at that and we've discussed that at this stage. Uh, we have not seen very many students approach us on the NIL side yet because I think, 
I think people are still trying to figure out what it means, even on the student athlete side and how it impacts them. Uh, every year we have compliance sessions with our student athletes. And so this year we, we've talked about name image likeness with them and said that you have these opportunities and we want you to take advantage of them. Um, but we want to make sure you do it the right way. So, you know, please fill out the form, please come through our department. Um, and we, ha we haven't gotten too many questions about that yet. But again, I, I think it's in the very early stages. And as, as it evolves, I think more and more opportunities are going to present themselves. Um, and I, I also think some of it has to do with the location of the institution, uh, how much just general following the institution has to begin with from an athletic department side of things. Um, and I think that's why you're seeing off, out of the gate more Division I student athletes taking advantage of the opportunity uh, to profit from their name image likeness. But certainly there's opportunities, as you mentioned, uh, online and with social media, um, that influencing option is definitely out there and someone that's very savvy on social media. And um, can, I think it's a great opportunity for the student athletes. I mean, I'm, mm -hmm. from an athletic director standpoint, um, I support the decisions and um, want to support our student athletes and certainly feel like they should be able to um, you know, profit from, from the image that they've created from themselves. Yep. And it actually, uh, one of the other things that kind of came to my mind, I'm not sure if the athletic director had been talking about this, but I know that many institutions use summer camps as a way to, um, uh, you know, raise money for, for sports, right? Um, are they concerned that, you know, a really good athlete might say, hey, screw it, I'm not going to, I'm not going to run something here. Or someone might say, look, I will work for your camp, but you're going to have to pay me or you're going to have to uh, let me use my image and pay that. Is there some discussion around that? Uh, not, not that I've been a part of. I mean, we would, you know, typically in a summer camp situation, you'd be paying everyone that was participating and there are rules, um, you know, ensuring that you're paying someone the fair wages that they deserve mm -hmm. and not more mm -hmm. because they're a student athlete. Um, so I think that structure exists on some level, but um, no, I, I don't know. I mean, I haven't been part of conversations so far at our level with an over, you know, a, some level of concern about right. NIL or someone, right. um, you know, not doing what we ultimately would hope that they're doing. I think we're right now, at, at least at the division three level and in the MASCAC, I think we're embracing the opportunity and, um, and, and trying to navigate what it actually means for us. I do think it's interesting. I think even today on ESPN, um, there's a, an article about a division one coach expressing concerns about yeah. the NIL environment at the yeah, division yeah, one level. Yeah. And uh, it, it is in some ways going to come down to who has the money and who has the support and who mm -hmm. has the boosters and who has the donors yep. um, and create, I think somewhat of a have and have not situation mm -hmm. on the recruiting side. Um, so we'll see how that plays out, but it's interesting that we went from, you know, Within a short, short period of months now, we're already seeing Division One coaches saying, wait, hold on. Like, maybe hold on we need second. to have more rules about this than we did. <laughs> we need more. Than we did wait a minute. Originally. We went too fast. We went right. too fast. But I think so we had to. You know, I mean, yeah. I think with all the states that were passing different legislation, we had to move because yeah. the last thing that you wanted would be to have different states with different rules. Right. Right. So the, the student athlete choosing to go in the state of Florida could profit up to this amount, but a student athlete in Massachusetts could only profit this way or up to this amount. And then that creates competitive inequity also. So, right, right. Um, yeah, well, it, it'll be interesting point. to see how it plays out. Yeah, no, I, I appreciate that. And I think it, it that gets us back to this idea of like where the, the, 
you know, you had to make these changes because of NIL. And then the constitution changes came up. And now within the constitution, the big bellywig in terms of what people are talking about is funding allocations and how, how that might play out. And so talk to us about what that means. Uh, right now, as you said, this is the NCAA is a member organization. And as such, the members also get, a, get money right? Um, and they're divvied out amongst the three divisions. How does that currently look like, or what does that currently look like? And, and with the changes to the constitution, what is the future of that allocation look like? Yeah. So I think it's, you know, I think pretty fair to say that division one, because of its notoriety and its popularity, um, brings in the majority of operating revenue to the NCAA. Mm -hmm. um, that March Madness package uh, that CBS Sports has with the NCAA yeah. um, and then also, you know, ESPN on the women's side generates a tremendous amount of revenue. Um, and that's really what operates the NCAA. Um, and the basketball it, does. The basketball does. Correct. Okay. Correct. Not the football. Not the football. Uh, the football is a separate separate operating unit. Um so, but the basketball final four and March madness and that television package, which I think is worth somewhere in the, uh, I don't even remember nine, $900 million over 10 it's years or something like that. Yeah. It's a lot of money. <laughs> so, um, that money comes basically into the NCAA and then gets divvied out, uh, accordingly. And, mm -hmm. um, prior to my career in college athletics, um, there was a divvying of those percentages. Um, and for obvious reasons, and, and rightfully so, Division One makes the largest majority or keeps the largest majority of that money. Uh, they're the ones that are generating the money, so it, it is appropriate there. Mm -hmm. um, but Division Two and Division Three rely on that operating rev revenue really to function, um, right. to, to hold championship, national championships for Division Two and Division Three. Um, the NCAA actually pays the travel and the, the per diems for the athletes to participate in those tournaments when, tra when you qualify and when you're traveling. Um, so, and then really mostly the staff that works in Division II and works in Division Three, and then the special grant money that we receive from the NCAA to do some initiatives all get funded from that same pool of money. Mm -hmm. So uh, Division Two gets uh, it's four point three percent, and Division One gets about three or Division Three, excuse me. Division Two gets four point three percent. Division Three gets uh, three point one percent, roughly, of that operating revenue. Even though Division Three is larger than Division Two. Correct. Yeah. So, and I don't know. I, I apologize, but I don't know the exact year that was determined. But it was prior to my my start in college athletics mm -hmm. that it was ultimately determined that those were the you know the sharing percentages that those divisions received. Um, and as part of this constitution review, um, obviously the financials got brought up again as part mm -hmm. of that. And should there be any changes to those percentages. And ultimately, um, it was determined that there would not be. Um, mm -hmm. So th those, those percentages stayed the same for both Division Two and Division Three. And as you said, despite the fact that Division Three is the largest of the divisions and continues to expand and find some new members, um, that, that percentage didn't change. And as the, I would say, as the Constitution got debated, I think there were probably two 
big debate points. They were all debate points. Um, and right. certainly a member of the committee there would know more of those individual debates, but certainly division three wide, I think representation on the board of governors was a, a concern. And then that resource allocation was another major concern. Right. Right. Um, and so, but I mean, it ultimately, I think the NCAA decided as a whole, divisions one, division two, and division three decided, hey, it's better that we all stay together here right. and we continue this NCAA, this thing called NCAA, and we still all are members of it. Mm-hmm. Um, but I think at a certain point, it also was division one saying, look, we, we bring in the revenue and we ultimately should decide how that revenue gets shared. And if we think you're getting 3%, then that's that's what we think is best right, and right. be be thankful you're getting the money that you're getting i guess yeah, <laughs> in a polite yeah. way to put it yeah and, and um, as we would say to our children you get what you get and you don't get upset that's right <laughs> i've used that with my kids many many times <laughs> so, so but so let me ask this question because i think you know following up on your point and and you may not have an answer to this but i am going to ask this is that you've got division 2 which is in my recollection is actually getting smaller. Like the number of institutions becoming division two is going down or it had been going down for a bit of time. And division one is, I mean, sorry, division three, as you said, is getting larger. We keep adding schools to this. Either they come up through the NIAA or they um, were division two schools and they've dropped down to division three because of uh, finance reasons or because of other other opportunities as far as how the division is set up. And so you you end up with a situation where you've got this division two area that is not as large, is not have does not have as many student athletes, not as many conferences. Where what's the conference feel around this? Do the conferences have an impact have an, have uh, feelings on this or is it really coming from the athletic directors? Um, yeah, I mean, I think it's mostly coming from individual athletic directors. Um, I think a lot of people feel differently about it. I mean, I, I certainly do. Like, I mean, I've never looked at it as a, we want to take any money from division two. That was never something in my mind that was worth it. I think I just wanted to say, let's give, give us the same percentage as division two. Right. Right. Um, Don't, don't harm division two in any way, but just give us the same percentage. And Ultimately, that takes, yes, some money away from Division One, but I think that's always the approach I took to it. I mean, I right. do think that there are some out there that said, hey, you know, go based on percentage. And if mm-hmm. Division Two has a smaller number, then give them a smaller percentage and give us the larger percentage. Mm-hmm. Um, so I don't know that there is really unity across conferences. I think there was a lot of just individual membership um, right. and the individual members saying this is what, you know, this is me as the athletic director or our, our president's. Um, saying this is what we believe um, as an institution, um, not necessarily so much as a conference, but right. um, yeah. So that makes sense. Okay. And so uh, we are here. We are here with Matt Burke. We are talking about the new NCAA uh, constitution, um, some rules around intercollegiate athletics, uh, new updates over the last year, and now culminating with this new uh, constitution. You are here at Office Hours with Dr. DeVoe. We are here every week uh, on Fireside. This is the uh, next evolution in professional development for higher education. Next week at noontime, on Wednesday, the 9th of February, we have uh, a great panel of uh, uh, academics, uh, folks who are, uh, we're going to be talking about racially minoritized faculty, how being a black faculty member is impacting uh 
uh, tenure and the tenure process. And uh, so we have some uh, fantastic panelists uh, who have done some really important work in this area in terms of research. I hope you're able to join us. I think it's going to be a great conversation. Um, Coming up in upcoming weeks, we have uh, some folks from George Washington University who are going to speak to us about their new residence life program. They have eliminated resident assistance, which have always been kind of the cornerstone of residence life programs. And they're going to talk to us about what's happening there. Um, and then uh, we have uh, some uh campus leadership from uh, one of the schools up in Buffalo, New York, that has actually moved to a four-day work week uh, permanently. And they're going to talk about how they came to this decision, uh, why it's actually being a good thing for their campus, and what they're learning from it. So please join us in upcoming weeks. Um, in order to uh, kind of make sure you don't miss a show, be sure to follow me here on Fireside, and you will get updates every time a new show is scheduled. Um, we are typically here on Wednesdays at noontime, but depending on my guests, sometimes we move that around a bit. So uh, don't want you to miss a show. So please follow us here on Fireside. Um, in the last few minutes, if you have any questions for Matt, please feel free to hit the uh, hit the button and request to come on up on stage and ask a question. Um, and uh, please remember that when this this show is ready for sharing, share it away. Uh, love for you to share it. Love for you to uh, subscribe uh, so that in the future, when a new show comes up, you can always share it and listen to it at any time. Uh, either be in the audience at the time of the show or uh, re re listen to the replay. Um, so Matt, uh, back to the issue at hand in terms of this, the funding allocations, we talked about that and how it works. Um, some other questions that came up uh, in terms of kind of debate around uh, this uh, issue was um, there were some uh, historically black college uh, and university athletic directors that said that there was a lack of HBCU participation in the process and that was problematic. Um, and some division three programs have voiced their concerns about the allocation, which you've already talked about. You know, one of the things that you brought up earlier was that this is a membership organization. And as with any kind of membership organization, any democracy, it's hard to get everybody to feel like they've been heard. Um, and, you know, the HBCU um, discussion is, I think, poignant at this point because there's been a lot of discussion about how HBCUs are represented within higher education, are funded. Uh, there's a lot of discussion. There was something in Inside Higher Ed today about um, allocations for an HBCU that go beyond uh, what uh, they're only getting half of what they need to kind of deal with uh, deferred maintenance issues on their campus. This is a school in Tennessee. Um, when you, when you've been part of these conversations, when you've seen it, are, are there feelings in and amongst, uh, these different organizations and these different subsets of the NCAA where you think that sometimes they're just, people just don't feel like they're heard. And why do you think that is? Yeah. I mean, I guess the obvious answer is yes. I mean, I think always, um, people want their voice heard and, um, I think sometimes decisions, unfortunately, get made. I mean, I think the passing of the Constitution, you know, there was still a lot of people in there that said, we don't like this and we think we should, you should vote no and this isn't acceptable to us. Um, but, you know, the, the majority, um, the needed majority voted yes. And so it passed and it moved forward. But of course, I think there's going to be people that have hard feelings towards that. I think 
you know, the Constitution process, um, the creation of the committee, I, mean, I do think there was an effort made to try to get representation. But obviously, the larger group you make, the harder it is, I think, to get actual work done. Yeah. Um, and, you know, as you look at the part of the Constitution is the makeup of the Board of Governors. Um, and that number was reduced um, completely. Um, I think there's now nine members of the Board of Governors for the NCAA. And I think mm. the, the previous number um, was something like, I think it was 21. Uh, and mm. don't quote me on that, but I'm giving you what I, what I believe um, was the number. And what's the role of the Board of Governors for people who don't know? So uh, the Board of Governors, I mean, is, is really the the oversight group of the entire, no matter regardless of division uh, of the NCAA. Um, so you know, I think, like I said, I think we went from twenty one to nine, um, but then that gets even further broken down. So there's four members from Division One, um, one member from the Division Two Presidents Council, one member from the Division Three Presidents Council. So right there, out of the gate, there's four members from Division One, but only one from Division Two and one from Division Three. members that are not employed by a, a member institution. So there's some outside. But so I, I think that's where concerns were raised. And certainly from the HBCUs, and I certainly understand that where there's less seats at the at the table, mm-hmm. um, when mm-hmm. these these larger scale decisions are being made. Um, and I, I think that's where the that's where concerns get raised. Yeah. Um, yeah. That's when you find division two or division three or uh, whether it's the HBCUs or another group saying we want we want more seats at that table, yeah. a larger percentage, so that we make sure our voice is being heard and a vote or something can't just be swung because Division One says this is the way that we want to go. Um, and that's a really it, good point uh, that you know the the Board of Governors is a space where there's the power. You know, people have the perception that this is where the power play might happen. And so while, yes, it's a membership driven organization and people all get to vote, but if you're not at the table uh, for some of that oversight piece or you don't have representation at the table uh, or, or enough of it, there's going to be some feelings there that that you are not being heard. So that's a really good point. Um, talk to me about you know, with these constitutional changes, you brought up a little bit about this earlier, uh, about uh, how the name image and likeness legislation is being discussed in and amongst uh, the athletic director population that you're you're interacting with on a regular basis. As you're strategizing uh, as a leader of a pretty complex organization, I mean, you've got uh, uh, you've got uh, how many how many teams do you oversee right now? Seventeen. 17 teams and you've got hundreds of student athletes. Uh, I know just because of my, my uh, relationship with you and, and how long I've known you, you care deeply about the experience of the student athlete and making sure that what they get in terms of uh, not only their experience on the playing field, but also in the, in the classroom and co-curricularly are really important to you as you're kind of considering what is the the future of your role, uh, how you work to enhance the life of student athletes. Um, how have you kind of looked at some of these changes from a strategy standpoint? And what are you talking to uh, your co-athletic directors with uh, from across your conference and people you know in your network? How is this changing your job? 
So, I mean, I think before I answer your question directly, I'll just say that there's still a lot of work to be done. Mm-hmm. Um, it, early on in the Constitution uh, process, uh, I think initially there was this idea that the Constitution was going to be the be-all, end-all, and as soon as it got passed, that was the law, and we were going to go from there. And then I, I think quickly everyone realized that as the, con- the new Constitution was being written, it was going to give more autonomy uh, and, and more decision-making ability back to the divisions to chart mm. their course and decide who they are or what they are. Mm. And I think at that point, everyone said, yeah, we're going to pass this constitution, but then there's going to be a whole other six month, five month process of figuring out what this actually means for the division. Yeah. Uh, and the president of the NCA, Mark Emmert, came out with that sometime during the fall, I think. He, he came out and said, look, like the work's just beginning. And I think that's where we're at right now. So yes, we passed this constitution. We, we had to take that first step. Uh, as you mentioned earlier um, in the show, it takes effect this coming summer. But so now we have to say, what does this actually mean for Division Three? Mm. Um, my, se- my general sense is, in talking to my colleagues, that Division Three, I, I think for, for the most part, uh, we're really... I think I don't want to say satisfied, but we're we're pretty happy with the mission, uh, the services that we provide, the balance between academics and athletics. And yeah, we sure we have challenges. Uh, we're a very diverse membership. We have large institutions. We have small institutions. You know, we have members that have 20, 20 something sports and members that have eight sports. You know, yeah. so there's a, a huge discrepancy between the members. But that's also I think what makes Division Three great. Mm-hmm. Um, I don't anticipate there being a drastic change um, to the Division Three model um, mm-hmm. because of this constitution, but I think that we need to really figure out what does our national office staff look like, how are rules enforced. Um, I think there's some conversations about maybe the conferences and the mm-hmm. conference offices having a little bit more authority or a little bit more autonomy to make decisions and rule on, you know, possible rules and fractions or handle it more at a localized level as opposed to a national level. So mm-hmm. I think we have mm-hmm. to talk about that. And we, we certainly have to talk out what the, that, those championships look like and ensure that our funding model that we do have is adequate to support that. And I think there's right. a lot of debate around that topic and ensuring that we're providing equitable access to championships and an equitable experience um, to in those championships, within those championships. And then I, I think key is really preserving, the, I think, the great work that the NCAA provides through grant opportunities. Mm-hmm. Um, and as a small Division three institution, um, we rely on that grant money, um, not only to help us operate some things in our conference, but to fund some special projects and some educational opportunities on our campus. Right. Um, or perhaps to take an initiative in diversity, equity, inclusion and offer an opportunity we weren't able to before because of finances. Or, right. um, you know, we're, this semester at Fitchburg State, we're going to be, you know, having some uh, training for our student athletes. It's grant funded from the NCAA, ultimately grant funded from the, the NCAA and dispersed through our conference. Um, and those are opportunities I wouldn't be able to provide without that funding and without the, that NCA model in place. So right. there's a lot of great things and that, that we want to preserve and make sure. But I think it's just figuring out where this all sits now, um, now that that new constitution in place and how much of that, how much does Division Three change? I don't think that much, but how do, 
what does, I guess, maybe the management structure look like more than anything? And do we want to change any of our rules um, to adjust to NIL or to the Alston case or, or anything like that? So well, a lot of work, it, I guess, is, is the, the long answer. <laughs> I think what, well, but I think it was an important, important comment. And I think that long answer actually helps frame what this whole conversation is about, is that the new constitution, the rules around NIL, all those sort of things are literally the first domino, right? And so we've got to start to to move the rest of the domino. We got other dominoes are going to get knocked down. We've got to uh, take a look at how uh, different divisions are going to respond to this. Uh, and uh, you know, Division One, Division Two, and Division Three are all going to be looking exactly what you said is like. What do we want to be? How is this going to shape out? And what does this do to impact our student athletes? how we run our, our conferences, how we run our championships, who we are within the NCAA fabric. And so institutions um, that are ignoring this uh, really aren't putting themselves at a good spot. Um, they want to make sure they're part of a conference or a part of a division that actually speaks to their philosophy around athletics. Um, and so uh, I would say that whoever's listening to this uh, either live or on the replay, who is part of that decision making on your campus, or you are uh, a partner with athletics, or you are in the athletic department, knowing what's coming up, what makes sense around your uh, conference, what is important to you, the values of your institution and how they line up. Those are all pieces of the puzzle that you have to have to um, kind of come to grips with and understand what is the future and what does that actually turn out um, and turn into. Um, and to your point, Matt, um, you know, in all of these conferences, whether your division, uh, or sorry, in, in all of these divisions, whether you are division one, two, or three, your representation within that division is going to be different. Some Division one schools are division one schools. They're meeting all the criteria to stay division one and all that, but they're not going to be your, you know, uh, on television every weekend and have big TV deals and all that. They're in a conference that is uh, specifically focused on, you know, a different aspect of division one. Uh, and, you know, you see institutions move around or seek to move around because, a conference may be more in line with their philosophy around what is a student athlete and what is the student athlete experience. And um, so when you are looking at your institution, what the institution is uh, trying to become down the road, um, you know, ignoring what conference you're in um, is probably not a great idea. You need to know where you're at and what the future of that conference is. And, um, you know, make sure that that conference is in alignment with your own philosophy. And we've seen campuses that change around because of that. They want to be part of a, a conference that is more in line with their philosophy uh, and where they want it to be. So I, I would have to venture to guess that once um, each of the divisions actually uh, make some decisions about who they are, what is the future, and how is it going to align, I wouldn't be surprised, and and you uh, would you're always good about debating me on these, is that uh, where a conference lines up in this and the success of that conference, uh, we may end up seeing more institutions shake out and say, mm, this may not be the conference for us. We want to stay Division Three, but 
this this conference and their direction here is not where I'm into. Uh, they've made some decisions and I might want to move. Um, or, no, I'm feeling really good about this. This is a space that we want to be. Um, and, uh, you know, uh, I think it'll be an interesting uh, next year to two years as things get in alignment around what these institutions and what these divisions are, are all about. What are your thoughts on that? Yeah, I completely agree. I mean, I think... I would say even over maybe the next five years, mm. I think you're still going to see a lot of shifting going on. Even I, I don't think that this new constitution settles anything. I mean, I no. think it's just an initial response to the changing landscape of college athletics. And I think for sure you're going to see Division One members reevaluating maybe where what division they want to be a part of. Um, and and I, University of Hartford is a good example of that. Yeah. Um, anybody yeah. can do a, a Google search on that now and see that they're, you know, making changes from Division One down to Division Three. And anytime you have that type of change, yet yeah, there's going to be conference fallout. So even at mm -hmm. the Division Three level, um, as new members maybe join, there is that reconsideration. And I, I always just go back to you want to make sure that you are um, affiliated with institutions as similar to you as possible and uh, yeah. share kind of the same beliefs. And, um, I feel fortunate at, at Fitchburg state, you know, to be part of a conference that's, that's the oldest division three conference in the country, um, and, and founded a, along this, the similar, very similar institutions. Um, mm. so we've all faced very similar challenges, uh, very similar, have very similar funding, have very similar staffing. Um, so, you know, I think that's a huge benefit in the position that we're in now. That's ultimately the most important piece of all of this is you want to make sure your conference and the members of the, that conference align with what your goals and your, you know, your priorities are. Mm -hmm. um, and mm -hmm. that, that applies all the way up to division one. I mean, as right. you look at that, that shuffling um, I think that's where everyone is trying to find that home that, that provides them with that environment. Um, and I, I do think there'll be a lot of changes over the next few years. And I, and I think you're you're absolutely correct in that there's a lot of reasons that institutions look to uh, make sure that they're in alignment within their conference. Um, some places you say, well, this just isn't working for us financially. Our schedule is one that we're constantly traveling too much um, and we can't maintain this as it's not sustainable. But that's not the only reason uh, campuses are looking at their conferences, uh, you know, and your point, Matt, that uh, institutions need to be looking at who's making up their conference and, and are they in alignment with them? So uh, I think that's a really great uh, point to uh, leave us on. And uh, not least of which I want to also go back to your point that this new constitution, the new rules about uh, names, images, and likenesses, NIL is not the end. Uh, this is all a beginning and there will be a lot more to talk about in the months and years ahead as far as it comes to uh uh, college athletics and the NCAA. Um, this is, uh, we're wrapping up today's show uh, on Office Hours with Dr. DeVoe. I want to remind everybody about next week, uh, we are going to have a wonderful panel of faculty and academicians uh, focusing on racial, racially minoritized faculty and how the tenure pro process is impacting Black uh, faculty members. Um, it's going to be a great conversation. It's going to be super thoughtful. Full. Um, and so I'm really looking forward to that. And then in the weeks to come, we will be talking about uh, residential life programs, specifically bringing in folks from George Washington University and other great 
topics. So if you have an idea for an upcoming episode or you know somebody who you think should be a guest on Office Hours, please connect with me. You will see my connect connect information right here uh, scrolling in the fortune cookie in the center of your screen. And speaking of connecting, hey, Matt, how do people find you? I think LinkedIn is the best way, Laura. <laughs> okay. Uh, I, you know, I have to raise my social media game. I think I need to make an, an, a resolution for myself to do that, <laughs> but certainly would be happy to have anyone reach out to me on LinkedIn and uh, always happy to help out colleagues. Um, That's great. And Matt is a great person. So if you are looking to expand your uh, network of not only good people, but good athletic department people, Matt's your guy. Uh, so thank you, Matt. I hope you had fun. I did. Thank you very much. And can I just quickly say, Laura, yeah. earlier, you put me on the spot and I came up with the number while we were talking. It's 7% <laughs> of high school athletes. I had to really think about it, but it's 7% of high school athletes that go on to play college sports. So <laughs> I wanted to correct that before we end it. You know what? That's actually a great way to end uh, today's show because it's now uh, college search season and decision season. And you have all these parents going, but you played this sport your entire life. And then now you find out 7% of people actually go on and play in college. That's actually an, that's an actually very important number right now as parents are going, I don't know why we spend so much time on uh, youth soccer when you're <laughs> playing college. That's a whole nother show. <laughs> we're going to start show. a different podcast. Well, you know what? We're going to, we're, we're going to have to bring that one back. So thank you, Matt Burke. And thank you everybody for being here. This is office hours with Dr. DeVoe. Please join us in the weeks to come and uh, have a great day, everybody.